Well, we are live from my parents' basement. Welcome back to another episode of Let Me Tell You. We are technically one minute early because Zoom, I clicked it by accident, so that's not me. I'm sorry if that messed up anyone today or anything happened, but we are back and ready to talk Cougar sports. All right, so we are 26 hours away from game two under the Nick Rolovich era of, era of Cougar football. Can I get a go Cougs? Because tomorrow is Cougar football Saturday. Rawr. Let's go Cougar football Saturday. This is what we like to hear. And we are one and oh, one and oh, undefeated, never lost. Let's go Nicky Rolovich, my guy. Nick Rolovich worked wonders during this game against the Beavers. So today, we're going to talk about your undefeated Cougars victory against the Beavers. We're going to look ahead to the Ducks match, which is 26 hours away. Get a little glance into the upcoming basketball season, which is two weeks away, where your Cougars look to improve from last year's performance. Then what else do we have? We have a tinfoil hat talk. I got a huge conspiracy theory. It might be a little delusional and full of grand of just random ideas with no, I have no evidence or anything to back up my claims about the conspiracy theory, but I am excited to talk about it. I mean, it's, it's a juicy one. It's a big boy conspiracy theory, just purely my opinion. So let's get into the Oregon State game. We were actually favored. We were underdogs. We were supposed to lose this game against the Beavers, Jonathan Smith's Beavers, with Tristan Jebbia versus Jaden Delora. Freshman, inexperienced quarterbacks duking it out. Mono e mano. No Max Borgie. We were destined to lose. I mean, it was written in the stars. The Vegas line went down for us. We were all supposed to suck. I guess it was supposed to be a bad, bad game. But no. Jaden Dolores said, no, Chief, I got this. Put me in, Coach. We're going to win this. That's exactly what it did. We won by 10 points, 38-28. We went into Corvallis, and we just shut down Hamil Carr Rashad Jr., top linebacker in the Pac-12, Jamar Jefferson, Second best running back in the Pac-12. I mean, the Beavers were supposed to beat us down. But you know what we did? We beat them down first. They had nothing on us. Now, the score would indicate that it was not a good defensive game and it wasn't as close as people would have thought. I, I think the score was not a true indicator of what really happened in this game. You could look at the stats, and if you looked at the stats, you would say, oh, it wasn't even an even matchup. It was more lopsided. If you Sorry, the score and the stats indicated that it was a lopsided game, and it was. What am I saying? I'm sorry. Reset, rewind. The stats made it look like it was an even game, but I want to say it's, it is more lopsided than that. I'm sorry. I was a little frazzled, came off strong. Don't know what happened there. Let's refocus. 
Okay, so Tristan Drebia threw for 100 more yards than our running back, give or take. He just – he looked like a statistically more accurate quarterback. He just screamed more accurate. But welcome to a new era of Cougar football where we run the ball more than we throw the ball. That's what's going to happen. We threw for more yards. We threw – we ran for more yards than we threw for yards, which is a first, I would say, in oh, – I don't know how long, probably since before Mike Leach came over. And Jaden Delora, who pro football focused from the top, if not the top, analytical football statistics, anal- football statistics analyzation website, that's not a word, rated Jaden Delora as the top quarterback in the nation. Yes, the nation. So not DJ from Clemson, can't say his name anymore. No, it wasn't Kyle Trask from Florida or even Zach Wilson, who I think is one of the best quarterbacks in the nation. No, it was our man, Jaden freaking Delora. This guy has wheels. He can run, run, run. It's like a car on his feet. He just picks up yards, just boom, boom, bada, bing, bada, boom. This guy can run from Moscow to Pullman in two minutes flat. Now, I know that is not possible and not even a thing, but he can run, man. It's going to be weird seeing a running quarterback in Pullman, but get used to it. Based on this one game, that's all I have to go off of. Nick Rolovich and Jaden Delora are going to be here for years to come. And look, one game, small sample size. Keep it in perspective, but all I have to go off of is one game. So I'm going to overanalyze it, overreact, and just go off on this one game. And you know what? It's okay. Our quarterback won Pac-12 freshman of the year, of the week, not year. Well, way COVID games are being canceled. May only be one game for, for each team. Kidding. That won't happen. But look, Jalen Delora was amazing. Fantastic. He won freshman of the year, of the week, of the week walker, not year. And I have a feeling he's going to be getting a bunch more of those awards coming up because he's granted an extra year of eligibility. Anyone on the team during this year will get an extra year, no cost against the, against the scholarship count. So that's good. So theoretically, he will be a freshman again next year, next season, so he could win 10, 12 more of these awards. So good on Jaden. So I want you guys to imagine this system next year. I know it's in the future, but I just want you to imagine. We get an extra year with Jaden Delora full-time. He wasn't an early enrollee, so we'll get a full year of him going through spring ball, hopefully all that good stuff, plus these veteran wide receivers who are going to stay here for another year, because they honestly, a lot of them don't have a great shot at going to the NFL, but they stay in the system, keep working, keep going. So. That's good. Now imagine them bringing Joey Hobart, this stud wide receiver. I say stud way too much. I'm sorry. This really talented wide receiver, and we're bringing in some massive wide receivers, like super tall, 6'3", 6'4", in this next recruiting class. Thank you, Nick Rolovich. Shout out Western Iowa Community College. Sandal's going to be a great receiver for us. So let's get back on track. I think 
Each quarter of this game provided a new insight, deeper look into our team and more, our team's growth, and more specifically, our quarterback's growth. You can see him growing and maturing and improving throughout the entire course of this game. So through the first quarter, she was nervous. Both quarterbacks were nervous, and that's understandable. It's your first game for Jaden Delora. It was his first game since coming off of coming out of high school, winning back-to-back state championships in that pipeline. The pipeline in St. Louis, Hawaii, it's a great school. They have Marcus Mariota, Tua Tungavailoa. It's been fantastic. So this was his first game. He looked nervous. Jebia, the four-star, also looked nervous. But then once he started completing passes and just growing them, short little out routes, just completing, getting check downs, anything, running the ball, his confidence growed. Throughout this game, we could see him favoring Javel Harris. And he ended that drive with a 39 touchdown, just bomb right down the field, caught it mid-step right in the bread basket. Oh, it was a gorgeous touchdown. He went four for five on that drive. Just precision throws. Oh, you can't ask for better. But then here's when the drive took a turn. Next drive, he throws an interception. Now, I'm not going to be – no one was naive in saying that he wasn't going to make a mistake. He's a freshman quarterback in a new system. First game, he was going to make mistakes, and he did. And Nick Rolovich said a week ago on the Cougar Coaches Show, which is a great show every Thursday, live from Zeppos. If you're in Pullman, check it out safely, wear a mask. It's really interesting. You learn a lot. You can write in questions. Who knows, maybe get a photo with Rolovich. I don't know, but you should check it out. It's great. He said he expected Jaden to make mistakes. He made less mistakes than he originally thought. So that's a plus. So I thought, oh, great. He threw an interception. This is, this is it. We're done. I know. Overreaction much? Yeah, I overreacted. But I was thinking, oh, he's done for. He's messed up. But he's going to get discouraged. There's nothing else going for him. Boy, was I wrong. This guy did not panic. He was cool, collected, kept checking on the ball, running, handing off the ball. Just like the mantra that Nick Rolovich had, one snap and clear. So if you make a mistake, snap, you take a snap, this mistake, next one, it's gone. Whatever just happened, you move on. So this was a constant theme throughout the game. And we're going to talk about that later. I don't want you guys to think that I'm ignoring the most important news of the day. And I think most had most Cougar fans nervous, scared. And I know I personally was because I was out getting ice cream with my parents. Cause you know, I'm living at home, not in Pullman. And I'm saying, Oh gosh, really Max Borgie's out. This is great. Jim Moore tweeted out that it was a, he had some listeners who had connections to the program. Apparently it was believed to be, a back injury, not too serious to stay in practice. That's why he didn't make the, the journey to, to Oregon. So I was thinking, great. My whole game plan for us was to be able to run Max Borgie down their throat. Just throw the ball to Borgie, make him work his magic. So what are we going to do? Oregon was our only winnable game. Now we're messed up. Oh, our best player in the Pac-12 is out. Nope. Dion McIntosh said, Nope, Walker, you're wrong. 
I'm going to put up a casual 417 on the ground. This man ran through Oregon State's defense. He ran behind Oregon State's defense. He went up the field, back down, back up, back down, and back up. Felt like he just torched them. Just whew, don't know what that sound effect was. The Notre Dame transfer was just outstanding. It was poetry in motion. The way he not every run was for 50 yards. No, there were some grueling three-yard runs. But there was promise because there were plays where we were on a third and two. And the def- the offensive line in him just kept rushing. They kept pushing. And then they got the first. They just moved the chain. I know that's cliche, but it was, it was what you needed to do to get this game going. And then let's talk about Jaden Delora because he is crucial to our team's success. And he's an absolute amazing quarterback, unbelievable quarterback. So as the game progressed, he grew more confident. And with, those, with the confidence that he and Nick Rolovich had in each other, Jaden Delora had the playbook opened up more for him. So in the first quarter, it was check downs, slant routes, like I said. Second quarter, maybe a little bit longer routes. Third quarter, they were achieving bombs down the field. He was running. Oh, it was just trust after trust. And you could see him, you can see Jane Delora just enjoying having full reign in the offense. It was his offense. Garrett Nick was controlling the play call, but it was Jaden Delora's ability to take the ball, make adjustments at the line. And you could see him flourishing when he knew his coach trusted him. I think I was worried that the short leash that Jaden Delora might have was going to hinder him because if he made a mistake he would go oh no made a mistake gonna get pulled but no Nick stuck with him through and through after the interception he kept going did not give up so I think once the run pass RPO so a run a pass option you can either the quarterback can either hand the ball off to the wide receiver or he can keep it once those starting to get more involved you could see Jaden Delore just have fun he just had fun which Sounds lame. I mean, he's playing football, but yes, it's college football, guys. It's not pro. It's not a job. He's right that in our school, man. He was having fun. And when the players are more fun, they're loose. They want to get at it. So, you'd notice that Travell Harris just became a nice safety blanket for Jane Delore. It was just, whenever he got nervous or flushed, he just threw the ball to Travell Harris, who... By the way, Travell Harris is a really good receiver from Tampa, Florida, I believe. He was not one of our really talented wide receivers in the sense that he wasn't a XYZ position wide receiver. He was our kick returner and our punt returner. But Travell Harris just said, no, nah, fam, I got you. We're not doing this. This is going to be where I'm going to step up when you need me to. And he tracked the ball really well downfield. You could just see him getting it, and then when, he, when there was a tough throw, he went up and caught it. So Nick Rolovich did have some, not negative things, but positive critiques for critiques that obviously, you, you want your coach to have a critique about you if you're the quarterback, because obviously you did not play perfectly throughout the game. It would be unrealistic to think you would. So he said Jaden Delora could have been more accurate and on time with his, with his throws. Yes, he could have. First game, jitters whatever. 
That is true. I noted that too throughout the game when I was taking notes on each drive. My dad said, put the, put the device down. Stop taking notes. No, I got to get each drive down so I have something to talk about. So we know we got to do. No. But his wide receivers did make up for it. Like I said, Travell tracked the ball well and caught it. So I'm really not going to complain with our quarterback's play. I think it was phenomenal. And it really shows the potential and the future we have. Because this future is going to be amazing with Jane Delora. Yes, I am bummed about Cam and Cooper and Gunnar Cruz. And I don't know what they're going to do. But Gunnar Cruz and Cam and Cooper, from all reports, have been totally team-friendly, team-oriented. Go Jane Delora. We're all in this together. Now, we didn't see a move like Skylar Thomas, who entered the transfer portal twice for us, and is gone. He's not coming back. So it was nice to see. Now let's talk about the defense. I think the defense played amazing. Now I had, before this game, for some reason, I think I just had flashbacks towards the UCLA game. Now for any Coug fans who know what I'm talking about, that game was not fun. The loss to UCLA was demoralizing, embarrassing, and caused our defensive coordinator, Tracy Clays, to run out on us in the middle of the night. He pulled an Indianapolis Colts, if you will. From Baltimore. Excuse me, I need to get some water. So there's about six or seven dominant drives. Right off the beginning, the Cougars pass rush hammered the Beavers. No mercy. They just went at it, and the Beavers could not handle it. They tried to stick to their game plan of just shove Jamar Jefferson down our throats. Ron Stone. Well, Jahad Woods. Amir Crowder, who played really well, not a lot, just said, nope, we're stopping you. you got to beat us through the air. And that didn't work out well for them. But the defense played well. They had a couple of bad bad drives. They gave up points. But we're not going to pitch a shutout every game. And I think towards the end, it was just sloppy play because they were – I don't think their endurance is quite there. Their in-game speed, they weren't ready for it. And they slacked off a little bit. But once they slacked off and they gave up a touchdown – they came right back and just played solid defense. So there's so much positivity that you can take away from this. So I want to highlight some players who are really good for us. So George Hicks, the third. He's crucial for our scheme. And everything I've heard from Nick Rolovich and Jake Dickert, this guy needs to stay in our system and he needs to play well for us to do well. He's a quarterback. All of our quarterbacks and safeties, interesting enough, were our top tacklers. Now, that does give me some pause. Why were they the ones making tackles? Could we not get the – could the guys up front not stop the running back? Well, they could for the most part. I mean, Jamar Jefferson still had 100 yards, but it was a contained 100 yards. There were a few little bursts here and there that beefed up his numbers, but they played well. So, when the players, if they broke free for the Beavers, got up there into the secondary, our players were not worried to just – Hit them. Take them down. Get them down. Don't let them get yards. And that worked well. Jalen Watson. He is an amazing story. He was a two-time JUCO All-American. He went to JUCO after some issues at USC. He's a really tall and just imposing quarterback. He's 6'3". He, he used to work at Wendy's before he had the opportunity from Nick Rolovich to come here. And 
the coaches I tell the story is very appreciative of being on this team and he has a great work ethic. And I think that's great for our team because Nick said in Thursday, yesterday's coaches show, there are players who are complaining, oh, this food's not great. And then you hear Jalen Watson say, dude, I was working at Wendy's, man. Eat the free food. It's good. Stop complaining. I mean, yes, you want that guy. He's a guy to root for, Jalen Watson. Believe he's number zero, but number one in our hearts. Good guy. Good, good person to root for. Last guy on the defense I'm going to talk about was Amir Crowder. Didn't play a ton of snaps, but when he was on the D-line, he moved people. He moved the offensive line to allow other guys to get in there. For example, he would move the offensive lineman, and Ron, Snowden, Ron Stone, the fifth-year linebacker, got in there and just slammed Jebbia down to the ground for a nine-yard sack. On that play, Oregon also committed a penalty. Nick Rolovich opted to take a penalty. He apologized on the coach's show. Probably should have given Ron Stone his second stack, sack of the day. But remember, this is our first game too. So overall, you know what grade I'd give this team after a game? I'd give it an A-. minus. You could improve. But ultimately, first game for everyone, it's arguably flawless for your first game. Now, let's get to the Ducks. As Nick Rolovich said, he likes his Ducks roasted. This is the game of the season. This dictates the year. Now, I know that seems crazy. Game two, how could it really dictate the game of the year? How could it be that impactful? Well, look, Oregon is number 11 in the country. I don't think their, their ranking is justified, and I don't think it really is quality. They're a quali- not high quality of a team, but they are the Pac-12's best option to make it to the playoffs. And if we beat them... We, I think we jump. We should take a huge jump. They're our hardest game. I think we can beat on Cal. Cal has yet to play. Cal might not get to a game before us. I see – I honestly don't see UW posing more of a threat to us than Oregon does. I say that's great because I'm sick of the Apple Cup just being an assumption they're going to win the Huskies. They're not. Oregon is our hardest game. They're coming into Martin Stadium. This is our home turf. Is in the snow. Is in the wind. This is you defend home. You defend home home field to the best of your ability. I think this team will be great defending home field advantage. Look, I I think I'm looking at this with a little bit of crimson colored glasses, if you will. But let's talk about this. This game is in the snow. It is in the wind. But you know what's different. For me personally about this game, when it's in the snow and it's in the wind, I don't have to. I know this is, we always love to bash Mike Leach now that he's gone. And Mike Leach, if we're being real, was one of the greatest coaches in Cougar history, football history. Well, let's just put that out there. He was fantastic. He's third in all-time in wins. I mean, we've had three or four quarterbacks drafted under him, bunch of, a couple defensive players, some offensive linemen. He was good. You will not complain with Leach. But when there was a game in the wind and snow, like two years ago with Gardner's Apple Cup, Mike Leach would love. And I mean, it's just his favorite thing, man. Throw the ball into the wind and the snow. You know what Nick Rolovich said? It was, it was great. It really made me laugh. I was just so proud that someone had said that. You don't throw the ball directly head on in the wind. You run the ball. You don't throw it in the wind. You throw it to places where the wind quite isn't as strong. 
oh, geez, Nick. If only someone had told Mike Leach that last year. Let's stop talking about Mike Leach. But it's nice to see a coach who, yes, I know the air raid is Mike Leach's thing, and he sticks with it. It's his bread and butter. He knows it works. No, but it's nice to see someone just running the ball and giving us a chance. So I sat down with Adam Chimeo yesterday for my podcast. Let me tell you. Check it out if you haven't. It's really good. He writes for the SB Nation affiliated. He's the managing editor so of Addicted to Quack, which is the same thing as Coog Center, which has tons of great stories. Shout out Coog Center. I enjoy reading their work. Their podcasts are good. Addicted to Quack, he talked about the game. We previewed it. And then he also has a podcast called The Quack 12, which, by the way, that is the best name for a podcast talking about the Ducks ever. The Quack 12, I love it. So I think it's crucial to start off fast and quick. Their top safety, Vernon McKinley III, will miss the first half of the game due to a targeting call that went against him in the Stanford game. Excuse me, I need need some water. So, we need to take advantage of their weak secondary. It will be exposed. So whenever you see a player go down in the NFL college, the coach immediately goes after them, just chucks the ball 50 yards downfield. One of the quarterbacks really well-known, I would say, about for doing this is Aaron Rodgers. Aaron, lo- Aaron Rodgers loves picking apart defensive players who aren't quite, who are new, who just got out in the field. Now, this is a big loss for the Ducks. He was a freshman All-American, supposed to be really good. I mean, he was, he was replacing, he was coming up, and stepping into a bigger role, if you imagine a freshman All-American stepping into a bigger role with Javon Holiday, the safety cornerback, secondary player who declared for the draft. Now, here's the difference between this week's game and last week's game. When the Beavers lost a player, the replacement was not going to be as good. When the Ducks lose a player, they're going to be as good. The good thing, Oregon can recruit. The University of Nike, if you will, is able to secure top-level recruits every year. It's going to happen. It's a lock. So, for example, they got the top. This is basketball, but this applies to Oregon's recruiting strategy. Sorry, I need to adjust something. The recruiting strategies. So, Bull Bull supposed to be a first overall pick. He went to the University of Nike because of all their colors and jersey options. That was it. Nothing about the team, school. But that works for football. Players want to go because of the jerseys. The jerseys call to them. So they get big-time players. So if that guy goes down, don't think it's going to be easy to score on the, the Ducks. It'll be hard. It'll take skill. But it's easier than what it was before. So... Let's talk about Mr. Shuck. Mr. Shuck, Tyler Shuck, the quarterback for Oregon, whose weird name is whose last name is spelled S-H-O-U-G-H, Shuck. It's odd. He will make mistakes. Jaden Delora will make mistakes. But it's up to us to capitalize on those mistakes and grow and score on them. So we need to do that. Take advantage of the mistakes. If we go into 
halftime with a lead, I think that is good. It's a dub. You take that, you go, yes, we got it, and our defense steps up and plays well. For once, I feel like our defense is not a liability anymore. It was always, oh, our offense can bail us out. That's not a guarantee this year. We're not, we're not airing. We don't chuck it down the field. Now it's, we have a nice balance. It's a calm. Take a deep breath. Tranquilo in Spanish, if you will. Just take a breath. And it's balanced. You go, yes, thank you. We run the ball and we throw the ball. So let's talk about the defensive coordinator. Andy Avalos brought a couple of cornerbacks from Boise State. He spent the offseason, as I read in Addicted to Quack, going over the tape and coming up with better coverage schemes. Now, this is as in-depth as the to the X's and O's I'm going to go in. So the dime package, they like running dime package. So here's a generic definition of a dime package I found for you guys. Obviously, once again, not a football coach, don't know everything. The dime package refers to six defensive backs on the field at the same time. So six in the backfield, in the back, not backfield. The, the defensive front has four down live men and one offensive line and one linebacker. Four, okay, so it goes from the defensive line, four players, linebacker in the middle, six players on the sec, in the defensive back, in the backfield, secondary, safeties, quarterbacks, all that. Now, with six defensive line, uh, safety is a linebacker. So this is a unique look. A lot of teams don't run this. This isn't a base coverage. Ooh, I sound like a weirdo saying base coverage. I don't know much about X's and O's. But they use this to, a lot to draw, to get movement from the snap. Confuse Stanford. So Stanford faced this on 17 snaps. The quarterback went 5 of 11, and they were drawn off sides twice. Now, I think that's because Stanford doesn't have a ton of experience playing teams that do this. But... Never fear. The Cougars, still not as much as they did with Mike Leach, but they would run, they move, they like to shift around and then right before snap. So the offense who's been practicing against it might not be as susceptible to this trickery, if you will. Trickery. So that's a good thing. Now, the obvious defensive player that everyone will be talking about is Kayvon. I just had it. I was practicing saying this right before I got on live air. Ooh, thout it. Nope. Kayvon, the top recruit from last year, Oregon. Can't believe I butchered it. He's amazing. He will be the first overall pick, I believe, whenever he decides to leave college. He is a dominant force, 14 tackles for loss last season. He just gets up in the offensive line and pushes them, dominates them at will. He's like Vince Wilfork plus J.J. Watt plus Aaron Donald all mixed up into one Oregon ducky. So that's good. I mean, not good for us, but he's a really good player, so they're going to focus in on him. But the Oregon coach, Mario Cristobal, did say he was worried about our offensive line because it's so veteran-laden, heavy, talented group. They're not pushed around that much. So... I think Oregon will struggle getting to our quarterback and our offensive line, which is good for us because that means Jaden Delora can turn on those wheels and just zoom. Boom, boom, boom. Sound effects are great, I know. I haven't got my mixer working quite up yet for 
for Facebook Live, so I have to make the sound, the sound effects on my own. So we have the advantage, the offensive line. We will win, if you will, the battle in the trenches. The trenches are ours for the taking. We got this, boys. Excuse me. Got to get some water. Talking for an hour really takes a lot out of you. Thank you for this. Can't wait to do this for two hours. I'll let you get back in the studio. So let's talk about Oregon State's offense. So two players who are going to stand out. Micah Pittman, fifth string tight end. Wait, what? Fifth string tight end? Yes, sir. DJ Johnson. He is a converted defensive lineman. So Oregon recruited him as a defensive lineman and said, hold up. Wow, that tight end's gone. That tight end's gone. That tight end's gone. Oh, and that guy. Just switch to tight end, man. We were kind of out of options. So Oregon State likes to run him in a run-pass offense with a slight variation where they get the tight end involved. So the run pass, which either you hand off, hand the ball off to the running back, or you get ready to you run as a quarterback, switches once they hand it off, they keep the ball to a bootleg. And generally they like to throw it to the tight end off the edge in the flats. So DJ Johnson caught five catches. He was their leading wide receiver. But if the Cougars can beat them to beat the the Ducks, beat up the Ducks offensive line, which is totally possible because the Ducks are bringing back zero returning starters. The entire offensive line is new people who this is their second game. Well, once again, the expectations for the offensive line in Oregon is a lot higher because they're all probably four or five star offensive linemen. So if we just throw the kitchen sink at them, oh, let's throw everything but the kitchen. No, let's just throw the kitchen sink, the toilet, the garbage disposal, the trash can, just poof, dump it all on them. We can stop them because they're off their offensive line is does not play or is not as comfortable playing off of each other as let's say the Cougars are. We have Liam Ryan, Abe Lucas, Brian Johnson, the center. I mean, we have depth, and we have – I'm not going to say depth because I'm not positive on that. But we have Jimmy Price. We have good players who can step up and get in there. And if you could see me now, I'm making hand movements like I'm an offensive lineman. But you can't see me, so I don't know why. So if we can beat them there, we can stop the tight end. The tight end is their X factor. Actually, it's their second X factor. The big dude is Micah Pittman. Brother of the Colts wide receiver, USC guy, has a YouTube channel. Not a big fan of the YouTube channel. I watch it occasionally when you see Des Patman in the in the thumbnail, who they're they're good friends apparently. So Micah Pittman had one catch, but it was all you needed. He is an NFL level wide receiver who once he, he needs to be he demands double coverage every time he's in the ball game. If he steps up and goes off, it's going to be tough. But truly, I'm actually not that worried about this game. I think it's totally possible for us to win this. It's not out of the – it's possible. We have a good shot. Now, I think the Cougars' offense actually has an advantage in this matchup. Maybe it's the crimson colored glasses I'm wearing. But, man, when I watched that game with Nick Rolovich and then – I just saw Jalen Delora. I just see him coming out of the gates, throwing like a madman, just whew, shucking it to Renard Bell, who 
Let's give a round of applause for Nardbell. Who came back, had his first game since being injured in 2018 in the Alamo Bowl. He played really well. This guy is great. So two years off, played great. Now, he was amazing. So... I think if we can have the same, a little, okay, so we're probably not going to get 150 yards and two touchdowns from Jaden, from Dion McIntosh again, but who reminds me of Marshawn Lynch, so shout out all you Seahawks fans. If we can have to control the possession and we dictate when they get the ball back, puts in a good position to win. And I think we can do this because I trust Abe Lucas, Liam Ryan with the mullet, ooh, it's gone by the way. We got this. This is us. We can win this. This game is not out of – it's not a foregone conclusion that Oregon can win. Just because they have the number sign 1-1 one, one next to their name doesn't mean they're that good of a team. I mean, the Stanford game, they had four missed field goals. against Stanford, Stanford missed four field goals, which put Oregon in a better place. So Oregon wasn't even that dominant. It wasn't that dominant of a win. My score prediction, which I was wrong about last time, so 28, 24, Cougars, baby. All right, so there are just some fun little pieces of note I want to pass on from the coaches' show I learned. So our offensive coordinator and our running backs coach are were Nick Rolovich's center and wide receiver. I mean, wide receiver coach, obviously. Were Nick Rolovich's wide receiver and center when he played at Hawaii. So that's kind of cool as a player. There were times before Nick Rolovich got on the, the field when he was the – when Brian Smith, their offensive coordinator, was a long snapper, and he used to hold the ball, Nick Rolovich, so they would practice in their eight-man football house. That was cool. Nick Rolovich, there's just fun little tidbits about the coach you didn't know. Our coach, Nick, Nick Rolo, Rolo wants to raise the profile of the Pac-12. He, it's just like Kyle Smith. They both came from mid-major schools. Hawaii and USF. And they're shocked when people say it when fans are excited they get a four star. Well, dude, this is the Pac 12. You should be getting four stars. This shouldn't be an achievement when you get a four star. Well, Wazoo has that culture of, well, we're Wazoo. We're the little brother complex. But he wants to, he, that video, the frozen pond, duck whistle, his dog Dixie, that video was great. Gave all us Coog fans. Reason to smile, enjoy ourselves. Nick Rolovich actually got some hate. He didn't say from who, but some coaches were not a fan of it. So uh, Nick Rolovich wants to raise the profile and the identity of the Pac-12. I mean, we are the Conference of Champions. So why aren't we higher, higher regarded, more highly regarded? Is it because of our horrendous scheduling? Now, I think Larry Scott takes a brunt of the blame, and rightfully so, he does deserve it but he's not that bad of a commissioner. Please hold your boost to the end. I don't think he's that bad of a commissioner. I think he could definitely be doing better. That is 100% for sure, but he's not that bad. We're not going to get into a Larry Scott debate uh, unless I get my phone, my mixer working where I can take calls. So if you want to bash Larry Scott, hopefully next week you will be able to. So there's a story that caught my eye. It intrigued me. It called me over. This is the sixth straight year, the Cougar basketball team. I should pick by the Pac-12 media to finish 12th or 11th. No, 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 chief. 
That ain't it, Chief. Well, it's not going to happen. So we're not the top team in the Pac-12. I spent months saying, oh, we're a really good team in the Pac-12. Oh, we're amazing. No one can stop us. Well, I might have been a tad bit off on my estimations, doing some more research, reading some more articles. We're not that great. Sorry to break it to you, but we are still good. So the Pac-12 has UCLA number one, Arizona State, Oregon, Stanford, Arizona, USC, Colorado, Utah, Washington, California, us, and then Oregon State. Now, I vehemently disagree with this one. I mean vehemently. It makes me sick, this list. First of all, UCLA is a really good team. They went 9-1 and the last 10 games. Best 10-game turnaround in Pac-12 history, I believe. Not positive, but that's what I've heard. UCLA is really good. I don't think they're the best team in the conference. I'm going to have to actually flip the order and go Arizona State. They have, Chris, they have the five-star forward coming in, and they have Remy Martin, the best guard in the Pac-12. Remy Martin bodies you. He shoots three. Oh, he's so much better. And then I would say, in my opinion, it would be Stanford three with Zaire Williams coming in. They got an electric recruiting class, better than ours. USC has Evan Mobley, the center, who is a potential first overall, first pick, lock. He is a James Wiseman of this year's class, 2020, who hopefully does not get, who does not quit his team, but he's that good. He's a dominant player. I think that'll elevate them. Now, Evan Mobley, man, this guy is electric. He's a dominant center. He's what everyone wants in a center. If you were the first overall pick next year, Evan Mobley's your guy, or Cade Cunningham from Oklahoma. It's truly up to you. Maybe Luca Gard. Okay, I'm just listing guys now. Sorry. Back on track. I think the Pac-12 is an eight-bid league. Not an eight-bid league, a five- to six-bid league on the more pessimistic side. Maybe seven, more optimistically. So we really only have to jump two teams. Now, I think we're better than Cal, Washington, Utah, potentially Colorado because we did beat them in the tournament. I don't really see the whole obsession with Colorado's roster, but they were going to make the the tournament last year. So there's obviously something there. So I think we, we jump them, but to be quite honest with you, I don't really know who we're playing. Like it's really unclear. So we're playing Idaho. I only found this out because I follow Idaho's basketball team because they're so close and they posted their out of conference schedule and we were listed. And yet, Idaho also has Gonzaga, so Gonzaga's still too scared to play us. You heard, your, you heard it here for the 75th time. Gonzaga's too scared to play us. You, you. I don't know what that was. So I think we're really close to being in the, in the dance. We're just ah so close. We'll see how we do. We have to win. We have to sweep all of our non-conference games and every game against California and Oregon. We just need to – those need to be locks. And I think we can beat Washington. I do. I don't think they're anything special. They do not have a great recruiting class. Their top recruits from the last season did not pan out. So it doesn't seem like a Mr. Mike Hopkins is doing a bang-up job picking the best recruits there. And now, look, the Cougars did lose CJ Ellaby. You can't take that out of the equation. He was essential to us. He is necessary for us to have a good year. He's gone. But... That doesn't take us out of contention because I think 
our two guards, Noah Williams and Isaac Bonton, are crucial to our success. We need Isaac to be more selective with his with his shot selection. He needs to be more conservative, not take every shot he thinks he can make because he can't take every he can't make every shot. We saw him missing it, but he can score. If you need a bucket, you go to Isaac. And Noah's a fantastic defensive player, but he needs to take a step forward in his shooting, in his scoring. Not 10 points. I think he needs to take a jump from 6 to 12. He needs to get to double digits. I don't think that's outrageous. He will be the starting guard. He should be a starting guard for us no matter what. And we do have CJ's shot selection to spread out, and Jeff Pollard's and Javay Robinson. But there are more shots to go around. So with that, once again, we got to sweep Mississippi Valley State because Jerry Rice went there, and Jerry Rice is not playing on the basketball team. That should be there. Wyoming, are they a basketball school? I don't think so. I've never seen them in the tournament. It's Texas State, not a basketball school. So I don't think the media got it right. I truly don't think they got it right. And Oh, my trash can just fell. That's unfortunate. But the media also picked Bonton to be on the second team, all Pac-12. I think that's possible. Do I think he deserves it? He's a great player. I don't have an answer for you yet. I think he'll statistically put up the numbers. I truly do. But I don't. I think that might be more hollow than we would like to think. I think he he gives me a Russell Westbrook vibe in the fact that a lot of his stats feel padded. They're not necessarily. They didn't contribute to a win. They were just seeing him chucking up and making me make it. So let's talk about media day. So Kyle Smith talked about replacing CJ. Isaac Bonton, this is a quote from, call it Coog Center. While Isaac Bonton will almost certainly take over as Washington State's go-to scorer, replacing CJ won't be easy. And there's more than one guy capable of filling a secondary need. Like I said, Noah Williams, and I was high on Jefferson Koulibaly. And also shout out Ian, who is obsessed with Jefferson Koulibaly because of his scoring, thinks he's a great player. He's likely going to miss the season with an arm injury. That really sucks. And then transition to injuries. Deion Jones, our first four-star player, still got time to go with his conditioning because he missed a couple of months. And he just needs to develop more, Coach Smith said. So that's not great for us. But, you know, that's why we have a deep recruiting class. It was a good one this year, better than most. And I would say last year's was a good one too. So it's Kyle Smith's got some competition for recruiting classes. He can recruit. Uh, Tony Miller probably will raise up his scoring average because he didn't play a lot. Noah Williams, like I said, should raise it up. And DJ Rodman, I think, are great. I think he's fantastic. He's an electric player off the bench. I don't know if he's a starter yet but he's definitely a really good six-man, along with being an amazing defender. Uh, Jefferson, uh, TJ Bamba, and Andre Jakomowski now are the likeliest freshmen to just start right away, and I, I said that a couple episodes ago. And Kyle Smith said, as a whole, we need to improve our efficiency. We were 100 an 80th in points per 100 per session. And look, he wants to make it so that teams actually have to scout us this time. That's good. That's what I want to hear. You like it. 
All right, let's get to my favorite one. Ready? I want everyone to put in their tinfoil hat on. That's not what tinfoil hats sound like. Put on your tinfoil hat because it's full on conspiracy theory time. There have been over, so let's look at this. The Pac-12 has two, has canceled two games. And on top of that, there have been, oh, you're not letting me count, computer, you're just spazzing out. Okay, Utah and UCLA were canceled, as well as Alabama, LSU, they were postponed, not canceled. Ohio State, Maryland was canceled, postponed. Texas A&M and Tennessee, Georgia, Missouri, can't postpone. Troy, Coastal Carolina, postponed. Auburn, Mississippi, postponed. Rice, shout out Rice Owls. Ooh, ooh, I love Rice, second favorite team. Memphis Navy, yep. Pittsburgh, Georgia. Air Force, Wyoming. Cal, Arizona. UNL, Monroe. And Utah, UCLA. So double digits games being canceled. Boom! Another week with multiple Pac-12 teams being out. So I feel horrible for Cal and Utah. I really do. But overall, Utah as a state is not doing fantastic on COVID, maintaining their COVID cases. They're, sp- they're going at a rapid rise in recent weeks. Oh, yes, I know the Pac-12 has no way to make up these games and fire Larry Scott because he didn't do that. But no, it's not as simple as that. Look, here's where my conspiracy theory comes in. You guys ready? Let me get some water first. I need to be prepared to give this segment the respect it deserves. Now, this is purely my opinion, speculation, no evidence to back this up whatsoever. So take it with a grain of salt. The ACC, Big 12, and SEC all have been playing games with limited cancellations or postponements. But as soon as the Pac-12 comes back in, they start showing, oh, they tested positive. Ooh, yeah, yeah. Now, I give the SEC props. They waited to see how it looked. They took a, a conference-only schedule. So there's a big step down from their original statement of, we're not California, we're going to play through this. So that's good. But I find it hard to believe that the teams have gone that long without having to cancel as many games as they truly have. I. I, I think, hear me out, the SEC, ACC, and Big 12, once again, with zero evidence, purely my opinion, that they are hiding COVID numbers. Yeah, I, I think they are. I think there's some, not evidence, but it, to me, I want college football. I love it. It's great. But remember, we're in the middle of a global freaking pandemic. It has ruined my college experience, and it is hurt so many hundreds of thousands of people. And I don't want to say that my college experience takes president over that because don't want that to come across that way. But you're telling me Alabama had just Nick Saban test positive over nine weeks. I find that hard to believe. I just think they're hiding numbers, not being as truthful. Like why did Clemson bring Trevor Lawrence to the game with them? against their most recent opponent. I mean, he tested positive for COVID. No matter what your stance on, if you think COVID is overblown or it's something else, you still don't bring somebody who's sick on the team. You risk infecting everyone else. That's just simple. Like, you don't do that. 
So that was weird to me. And there were times where Trevor Lawrence was seen on TV taking off his mask. So that was weird. Like this whole thing is just strange to me that they have gone this long. And then as soon as the Big 12, the Big 10, the Pac-12 come in and they start canceling games, everyone else starts canceling and postponing games. Now, like I said, this is total nut job conspiracy hour. But I want it to be full-on conspiracy theory dude right now because I think it's a little weird. That's just my feeling. It's odd that no other team has been canceled, has really canceled or postponed any games. So, yeah, that's my show. Uh, it's going to be about 54 minutes, I would say. Once again, follow me on Twitter at Deputy Violet, D-E-P-E-U-D-Y-V-O-I-L-T. Uh, check out my podcast. We're at episode 54 right now. We interviewed Pat Shun, Kyle Smith, Matt Chaz, and Howe. Who else? A bunch of beat writers. We're going to get some beat writers for Stanford and maybe Softy Mahler, depending if we can get it. I'd love to get soft, uh, Softy from uh, 710, I believe, or 950. I never remember the difference between the two stations to talk Apple Cup when it's Thanksgiving break. So we get some good guests at Let Me Tell You, Colin WSU. If you just look up WSU Podcast, you can find it there. Basically, anywhere you find podcasts, they're found. You can check it out. Also, check out my dude Noah Bolter's YouTube channel. He's really good. Love his stuff. And then also check out Aaron, Asher, and Aaron, Asher, and Noah's KUGR show. It's great. They do high-quality stuff. They broke down Rolos. Rolos first win as head coach. So, hey, much as the world sucks right now, you got some great sports content to look forward to. That's all. Shoot your shots. All you got. Go Cougs. Enjoy your weekend. Enjoy the Cougs. 4 p.m. against Oregon. Let's have a good one. Bye-bye now.